Do you want to talk about how you're feeling right now? Oh, so many questions. What does this mean? What do I do? <laughs> Go on! Tell them what you think! I liked it. I think your calculations may have been off. I think it's all right. I just have a lot of feelings. This pleases me. These are perfectly normal feelings. Do you even know what you sound like when you talk like that? Now, shall we begin? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Real Feels Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time being with us, we are a movie review show where every two weeks we give you a different fortnightly. Fortnightly, we give you a different movie genre with a movie paired with it, and tonight, like a wine and cheese pairing. Yes, like a wine and cheese pairing. Uh, tonight it is a rather special event. Uh, we we do not have Nathan. Mm -hmm. Nathan decided to uh, leave us and get the hell out of Dodge and head over to Gilbert, Arizona. Arizona. <laughs> Took a left near Albuquerque on my way to Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> so tonight we've got a chili pepper in the candy dish. Uh, you may have heard us refer to him in the past in good, bad and neutral terms. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have guest host, our friend Cody. Cody, welcome to the Real Feels podcast. The one, the only. Howdy. <laughs> howdy, howdy, howdy! Yes, that's very a, a lot of exposition from you. Uh, yeah, so Cody is going to be joining us tonight to deliver some of his uh, his flavor and his take on was it two thousand fives, a kiss kiss bang bang. So kiss kiss bang bang is our first Patreon episode brought to us by Nerd Reverts, also known as Jason. So Jason. Jason. So Jason picked uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang at the tail end of last season, and now we are getting to some Patreon specials because Nathan, obviously, is not here, but we're all like, hey, we, we still got stuff to do. Let's get to some Patreon specials. And we have an empty seat. We've been talking about Cody for five years. Let's let the audience actually <laughs> get a listen to him. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. No, actually, um, I'm happy to be here. I'm actually really happy about this pick because I was expecting some terrible shit like king ralph or well don't or worry Tracy. we've got more patreon movies to go <laughs> <laughs> even even some of nathan's picks yeah <laughs> but uh shall we get a little uh bean footage on, oh yes bean uh, footage. You know, 2005's was it black comedy noir <laughs> it's, keys, keys, bang, bang. it's a lot of things <laughs> let's go hurry up it's not my fault. Just shut up and run. Hold it right there. Harry was a small-time crook. Oh, boy. Till he opened the door. Oh, no, no. We're not ready for your audition. Just take him. He's ready. You ready, right? To a really big break. Quit acting like the good guy. You got your partner killed. You killed him. See, this is what I'm talking about. Old school method. Give me Gabe Perry on the phone. But he'll need a real cop. Detective lessons tomorrow for your acting. Oh, are you the uh, consultant? If he wants to act the part. You must be Gabe Perry. Still gay? Me? No. I just like the name so much, I can't get rid of it. Bang, bang. So what do you do? I'm a private detective. Bang, bang. She thinks I'm a detective. Of all the idiot things to do. Bang, bang. My sister. Honey, Are you going to help me? I got to check my schedule. Can you help me, Harry? Because you're not going to help me okay, find somebody okay. else. So sometimes I have other... Oh. Uh, my caseload oh, is, sure. is pretty... Thank you. From Shane Black, the creator of Lethal Weapon. Do not play detective. Moron. Go home before the bad guys do something bad to you. 
two corpses in three hours. I mean, that's unusual, right? Yes. Comes a mystery. It's a frame up. First things first. Do you have the corpse? I, I, I got rid of it. You threw it away. Yeah, look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No. The definition of the word idiot. Ow! That starts with a kiss. Why'd you lie to me? It was an excuse to stay around you, so I mean, I think... Ow! Did I just cut off your finger? Yeah. It's on the floor. Pick it up. Pick it up. And ends with a bang. Where is the girl? You put a live round in that gun. Oh, yeah. There was like an 8% chance. Hey, who taught you math? <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. What do you think, I'm stupid? Val Kilmer. Yes, I think you're stupid. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Oh, hell. Kiss me. What? Kiss me. No, no, no. No, no, no. These lessons suck. So, Cody, what did you think about uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Had you, had you seen it before? Was this a new watch for you? No, this has been a movie I've been studiously avoiding probably for the last, well, decade and a half since 2005. I've, I've heard good things, but it's just, it looks like a fun movie. And, you know, my relationship with fun is kind of <laughs> rough. <laughs> Uh, for listeners out there, uh, studiously avoiding this movie is uh, accounts for roughly 80% of the movies that are out there for Cody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, why were you studiously avoiding it? Just because of its its funness? And, well, I mean, that was part of it. I, I, I don't... So, when it comes to comedy, like, there's extremely absurd comedies like Anchorman that I can get into, or mm-hmm. like... I mean, at least and I, comedy's I, I not could really in high your, school, anyway. your forte, right? But it's not. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I tend to be. I like. I like dramas a lot. Thrillers, mysteries, you know. But, but really grounded films. I don't have much imagination. So, but yeah, uh, Shane Black, director and writer. Mm-hmm. So Shane Black uh, is the writer for one of Nathan's favorite movies. Oh, Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah. Which you can kind of tell. Uh, that the same mind that brought us Lethal Weapon, not that that's a bad thing, brought us Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'm pretty sure Joel Silver worked on both of them too, and uh, that's that's one of uh, one of the guys that Shane Black principally leans on. And when he's gone, he makes movies like Predators. So <laughs> you, you can see how instrumental but he is. You also you also see a continuation of like very uh, like keen themes in his films. Like the man loves Christmas. Loves Christmas. Does he? Oh, okay. I mean, a lot. So, like, this is Christmas setting. Iron Man three is Christmas setting. Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon is Christmas setting. Uh, fun thing. He wrote the screenplay for Last Action Hero. Uh, Christmas setting. <laughs> or nearly around there. Around. It's cold. That's it's cold. wet. <laughs> but I mean, also, this was his first directorial debut, and it and, shows. And yeah. well, I mean, I for a first directorial debut, I thought it was pretty great. I mean, some stuff like afterwards, you. Some people might not like, like Iron Man three. Not exactly the fan favorite for the MCU universe. No, it's 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 not the worst. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but there's like thirty other Marvel movies that are even worse than that. I no, mean, of course, of course there are. I mean, well, like, in the, yeah, in the pantheon of the Marvel universe, Iron Man three is not that bad. It's not great either. Uh, I th- I think my one of your favorites, Monster Squad, was written by Shane Black. Oh, yeah, really, and I and I. I thank him for that. <laughs> I think everybody uh, thanks him for that. One of my one of the I think my biggest issue with this movie is that 
doing some background research on it. Uh, you know, it's heavily influenced by uh, Chandler and uh, his Philip Marlowe character, Raymond Chandler and Philip Marlowe. But if I had not known that, I probably would have enjoyed the movie more for just being taking it at face value. Wow. But when you put that onus onto a movie that, oh, you know, they drew all the, you know, like the different uh, s- sections of the movie where some of them were Raymond Chandler novel titles. Right, the, the title sequences, yeah. So oh, yeah, you, Farewell, My Lovely. Yeah, the yeah, Little yeah, Sister. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. so when you do that, you, you need to sort of live up to that standard. Uh, and we've done this. Would you know? This is our third Raymond Chandler inspired mm. movie. We had uh, Chinatown and we had The Big Sleep, uh, both which uh, I think are better films than Kiss Kiss Kate, Bang Bang. Different films, yeah. but when you are when you're saying that is it's inspired by Raymond Chandler uh, and Philip Marlowe, that you need to bring a little bit more as far as just overall polish. I think. The characters of Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr., their interaction, their chemistry was great, but the story, I think, just fell to pieces. It, I would agree. Sorry, I didn't like to jump in there, but like I agree with that. I think this is a movie that has a lot going for it, and dare I say, I think at times, too much going for it, because it seems a little hodgepodge of everything. Don't get me wrong. I think it's good stuff, but when you put too much into one thing it's like where does your attention go should i like this should i not like this should i laugh at this do i pay attention here like what happens with it so you kind of have to cut them a bit of slack um because this was a very shoestring production like his budget was nothing 15 Um, million and they made 15.8 million back right yeah and um Val Kilmer was really the most veteran talent that they had on the set, mm-hmm. period. And there's a reason why his performance is just light years beyond everybody else. Yeah, and then you had Robert Downey Jr., who was coming off the backswing of his career. I mean, yeah. at this point that he started dabbling in television because he wasn't getting any kind of roles offered. And this actually kind of relaunched him, despite yes. the fact it didn't get much uh, much commercial uh, acclaim. You know, it, it was a critic darling in a really subtle sort of way. So, I mean... But but Robert Downey Jr. was overacting through every every scene that he was in, and it was it was almost enough to it's take like you out of some Iron scenes. Man. It's a yeah. pre, it's a pre Tony Stark because so you can see like the sarcasm, the wit, like him just sitting there going like your mouth is made for a sock, but, to but fit without into the it. restraint, though. right? Right, exactly. And that's what the Be- what he had going on for him later on in his career. Right. So because now he's like synonymous, like and, you almost and again. See- you know, that's one of the things that shows that Shane Black was, you know, his first time directing is he wasn't able to rein in his talent or focus them or direct them. But at the same time, it allowed him to do other things um, that I'll get to later. <laughs> All right. I, it, and I agree. You know, it, it, it um, who is uh, Hap, uh, the, you know, director of Iron Man? Oh, oh, John Favreau. Yeah. John Favreau. Like the the, the cites, reason the yeah. reason the MCU cites, is even alive. Uh, you know, the reason he went with uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark is directly attributed to his performance in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, yeah. to which Robert Downey Jr. says it is his favorite role. Yeah, ever. and I and I get that, uh, but it's just it's so all over the place, and you know Raymond Chandler books can do that, but there is a certain style. And sort of pizzazz to it. Whereas this, it just feels like everything just kind of 
it's it was it felt a little lazy as far as the screenplay is concerned. I, I don't know if I would say lazy, but it's it's definitely like messy, lackadaisical. You know, well, sure. Yeah. I mean, slapdash. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there is a problem that it doesn't know what it wants to be, but you can see what it's aspiring toward, mm-hmm. and there's there's a clear arc in that direction. It just, yeah, it, it kind of. It, yeah, it, it loses itself along the way and quite often. It's a, benefit, it's a benefit to Downey's career, who through only three years later became Iron Man. So this, again, you're right. It was like the relaunch for his career. Uh, Monaghan also became... Oh, Monaghan. That was yeah. a blast no, she, from the she past. Was. She was a household name back in the and, day and, and a, she, a bit of a sex she symbol. She got the honest with you. I'd never heard of her between... This film and True Detective. In fact, I didn't even know she was in this film. Well, but this, we this so this movie it did it gave her a bit of a bump, just like it, it reinvigorated Downey's career. Unfortunately, the only thing Kilmer's career didn't kind of get amped with well, this. But yeah, Kilmer's kind of backsliding himself. You could tell he was start starting to hit some of his his issues with health. Yeah, and Kiss he's Kiss very Bang stiff. Bang. I can't yeah. remember much until he showed up in like. What was it like 2009's or 2012's uh, MacGruber? Oh yeah. Uh, after where that, he played, what is it? The villain, Kunther or something? Uh, yeah, the the Kunth. Kunth. The Kunth. That was it. I mean, but that doesn't. I I don't want that to to take away from the shine. I think Val Kilmer's role in this is really stand out. Not because he's playing Gay Perry, just with the way that he's played, his quips and his chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. The writing is are, are very noticeable. With, at least their dialogue like, is sharp. It, I wanted more of and, that. And most of it was ad-libbed, which is, which is the most shocking part of it. Because they've tried to, in, in various documentaries and interviews, they've tried to reignite that chemistry. And it's never really taken off, but it worked in that film, which, uh, which is kind of crazy. But... um. Shit, I had something to say and I forgot it. Monahan, well, Monahan had said in an interview that like she walked onto the scene with you know Robert Downey Jr. and he said like we're gonna improvise and she's like what we're gonna what we're gonna say lines that are not on the script and she had never done like improvising in a film like at all at that point and she and she was all like I was so intimidated this was like completely random this was not exactly what I expected she's like but it turned out fantastically. I think one of my favorite comedic moments of the film, or just favorite moments, period, was after they get back from going to the lake where they find the car, and, <laughs> and the uh, he drops off Robert Downey Jr. at the hotel, and Robert, like he's so pissed <laughs> off at Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is just so like, so I'll talk to you tomorrow. He's like, die, and it just blow me. I gotta like, go. I-, <laughs> I gotta go. I really gotta go. <laughs> that, that's one of the things that I rather liked about this film is that like. There's tons of cliche and retread in it, but because it's a passion piece and not pastiche, it's like, it works. It doesn't detract from the film because everything's mechanical. Everything is doing work. You know, in Gay Perry, like, there's a ways that he's incredibly a cliche character, they but he's also not. Gun. He's also, you're right. <laughs> you know, but he's also incredibly novel, you, you know? You asked, Chief. <laughs> no, it's bound. No, that, that's it. That's the thought. I just I like the fact that like it doesn't do anything new or or incredibly original, but it does a lot of things well in that regard. So, you know? so Cody, you avoided this film 
But did you actually enjoy the film? I enjoyed it enough once. I didn't watch it a second time on purpose because I knew I'd be able to break it down and appreciate it a lot less. Uh-huh. Mm. So I'm coming away with a rosy take because I I unexpectedly enjoyed it more than I anticipated. All right. But on my first watch through, you know, it, the whole web between Harmony, Harmony's sister, and then Corbin Burson's daughter... Like, that just seemed overly complicated. Well, okay, that was a homage to Chinatown. That wasn't their original ending. Their original ending was going to be, after the shootout, he was going to fall unconscious, and then they were going to pan the camera back, and they were going to show the neon lights coming on, and then fade to black. And it was going to be a reference to a line earlier in the film. Because he had the neon neon sickness, or whatever the fuck it was. And, um, you know, and then it was going to leave you with that question, is he going to wake up? Did he live through this? And they were going to leave it with an ambiguous ending. Which was kind of like the commentary where he wakes up in the hospital and he says, like, they all do this. Let's just bring everybody back from the dead. Yeah, Let's yeah, just all yeah, do yeah, this. Mr. Frying and, and Pan, that, Mr. Fire. Yeah. And, and that uh, was something they came up through, like, I guess, like, through filming, but after the draft of the script. And then, you know, the scene at the end with the, I don't know, 2005, did they have fucking webcams then? But yeah. with, like, him and Gay Perry talking through the credits. Like, that was a totally, they had an extra day of shooting time. And, like, Val Kilmer wasn't even on the set. Joel Silver went and wrangled him out of his fucking home and took him at gunpoint back to the studio to film that. <laughs> you know, just to give the movie something, you know? So, yeah, that that that's... Uh, yeah, but that was, that was because of Chinatown. Because Chinatown had such a... It wasn't the ending you expected. It was, you know, a gut chuck. You know, it was just... Yeah. It's Chinatown. Baby. It's Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, like, that's not how anybody would have anticipated it ending. But it fits. And it fits mm. really well. You know, and but, so that's they wanted to give it that kind of like, and I and I like the twist that, you know, she wanted to reconcile with her father, and her, you know, she had this idea that her father, the guy she thought was her father, was just like her father, you know, mm-hmm. and then it drove her to suicide, and this whole case came out of something that wasn't inaccurate, but was absolutely untrue, you know, and I think there's something about that that's attractive, but I don't think they pulled it off. And my issue is that because they're saying that this is inspired and it's all tied together with by by Raven Chandler's Philip Marlowe, you know, he delved into some for for the 30s, the 40s and the 1950s. He delved into some really sort of deep, uh, untreaded, untreadable waters. You know, Mm. you know, the unspoken fact of the big sleep was that, you know, it was, you know, the guy was a pornographer and in other other novels of his it delves into drugs and sort of these these uh uncommon sexual liaisons Mm. but you didn't really get any of that from this movie it just sort of tried to winnow on this it was like a kid with the floaties on his arm <laughs> and like the coins are down at the bottom of the pool but they never actually dove down to really get no. their hands dirty it was just mostly just character acting that, no, you're that absolutely really right. brought this movie together. yeah that's one of the things that i love about noir films is they always exist in this world that's like sideways it's always like in the shadow of the greater civilization mm-hmm. and they always deal with these broken people that don't really fit in with society and it's always you know an interesting cast of assholes right but like yeah, with Raymond Chandler, especially like in The Big Sleep, which which is great, you know, there's that whole mafia bent to it that is actually superfluous to what actually Sean happens. Sean Rogan. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
it was the the big sleep that was the uh the irish uh husband of the older sister and the buddy i, I just i just remember the guy that kept calling him fucking tarzan on a, on a big red <laughs> fucking scooter you know but like that entire angle like he's pursuing it because it seems like you know that's the direction to go and it turns out that it's an entire red herring you know that it has nothing to do with the mob but you know and that, it was the little sister all along. it was the little sister all along and that's kind of the same case with this. Like, you can see the template that he pulled from where, you know, they started off in this one trajectory, you know, based upon this girl saying, you know, be here to film this, you know, thinking they were going to catch, you know, an incestuous relationship. And then instead, you know, they get murder and intrigue. And, you know, it's I mean, you can see what they were doing and why and where it comes from. But you're right. They don't pull it off. It's a very. It's a very messy film. So, uh, question to you guys. Uh, if you were, let's say right now, uh, we are in Drew's domicile. If uh, one of us went into the bathroom and uh, we were peeing and noticed a corpse <laughs> in the shower, would you be so surprised that you would turn and pee on that corpse? I'm going to say no. <laughs> Well, I mean, who hasn't seen somebody, you know, passed out in a shower at a party, right? I mean, <laughs> this isn't terribly but, uncommon. But you know Drew, and it's a Wednesday night. There's no party. <laughs> if, if it's like a naked prostitute in Drew's fucking, you know, I might, I might make assumptions that it's dead, but I'm going to fucking finish pissing first before I check. You know, I mean, like, there's you're, no... You're not going to just assume she's passed out. You're like, baby, she likes this. <laughs> there's no goddamn urgency in the moment. You know, and it's either way. She's dead. She's not getting up and attacking you. Right. You know, there's there's nothing to get excited about. So no, I'm not, it was, I'm not it pissing was, the corpse. It was decent comedy, especially when he's explaining to Val Kilmer over the phone, like, I pissed on the corpse. It, it was kind and of it, worth it for Val Kilmer's reaction. No, no. no it's, I it's, get to speak it's now. It's my turn. <laughs> but it, that also was, yeah, a little, little on the nose. little on the nose. It, it was unsubtle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even and he's kind of right. He's like Val Kimmer's responding. He's like, they have no idea who you are. Even even if they vaguely recognize them from atop the hill down by the lake and down, he's like, we got a dead body here. What's going on? Like, even if they recognized him from there, like, how do how do they find him immediately like that? Uh, and I believe his uh, the producer that sent him from New York uh, was also playing like one of the asshole uh, senators in one of the Iron Man movies. Maybe that was Gary Shandling. Was that Gary no, that Shandling? was that was the fucking uh, Captain America movies with Gary Shandling. Was it Gary Shandling? The, the guy who was the... The bald guy? The bald guy who, who was, was the producer. like, oh, you know, gay parents let's talk about the elephant Not in the that room. it's like the best you reference. You see a guy and you're like, I want that. I see an elephant and I want but, like... But I remember him from Chairman of the Board with Carrot Top from well, the 90s. But he's Good just God. been in... He was a, <laughs> But he always played the asshole. He does. And he like does it well. Because he's, 90, he's comedic about 90, it. 90, 11 billion things. It, it, because he's comedic about it. He's got a good sense of like, of draw. Larry Miller is his name. So pretty woman, nutty professor, a mighty wind. He's in a mighty wind. That's yeah. probably one of the places to recognize him. 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. When you guys started reaching for your phone, I thought it was one of those movie moments where like the government sends out a fucking Don't text. tell them what happens behind the curtain, Cody. And everybody fucking gets it but me, and I'm sitting there staring at my phone like, is there a fucking Amber Alert? What's going on? Oh, Christ. So, once they... Well, all right. She cuts off Robert Downey Judy's finger, which kind of becomes like a MacGuffin 
later on. Uh, you know, there's the whole, uh, you know, scene where I can't they go it. to warn Val the, Kilmer. The dog has my fingerprint. <laughs> oh, and, I think we're okay. uh, and then the, the chick with the wig gets in the car that happens to have Robert Downey Jr. Like, that's a lot. That... And this that, is why I feel like that's where the movie gets lost because then after that it's like it's a well suddenly they've got follow. this medical facility right. and now the daughter is not the daughter. And like, but it's a lot. It's a lot to try and follow as to like I mean okay, Mahan, uh, Monahan's character is all like oh his stakeout it's a setup and I'm thinking how how do they know it's a setup and how you do break they know up to that set you up? break up that setup wearing like a fucking Santa baby dress right. I mean, and she, you know, she's walking down by the bridge and she looks up and she does the whole like, he's behind me motion. And I, I don't know. It's just weird. And then he he offs her when they go back to the apart or the house and says like, oh, it's nothing against your boss. Like, I just I'm not comfortable with this. It's OK. You'll never have to do it again. Promise. Yeah, I promise. Choo, choo. Plug, plug. And I mean, that that's an emotional scene and really like tense when she looks mm-hmm. just and says to him like, who are you? And he has to like quiet her. As Jackie Chan jumps in. But between like that death and him getting on the phone, which I thought was really honest and transparent, where he says, like, I just shot a guy and I've never done that before. And his voice is cracking and just like drifting off. And I really liked that. I I love the dog just even as kind of campy as it is, like the dog coming in and like (laughs) giving him like him consolidation. He does. He does. But um, after that, I feel that's where things get really muddy. Uh, and then, you know, they, they figure out that, oh, you know, there's this facility that Corbin Burnson, who is also an actor, but he runs that after viewing the Lord of the Cock Rings <laughs> and the daughter is there. And, uh, then at the end it's like, oh, well, Harmony, her sister didn't kill herself or no, she, yeah, she wasn't murdered. She killed herself because she happened to look in the window while Corbin Birdson was raping what you thought was your sister and an incestuous liaison. And I still say that that could have been a compelling turning point in the film. If could have done been if done it. it well. Yeah. Yeah. But it just seemed slapdash. Mm. Yeah. Especially when it follows all the convenience and contrivance that led up to it. You know, specifically in the scenes that you're mentioning. You know, it's. Oh, but, by the way. Again. That it's a- thing with your sister. Blah, it's blah, a little blah. too much to try and figure out which path to follow. And what to pay attention to. And, and this is where, like, you know, the fact that it's Shane Black's first film, like, it's it's one of those times that it really shows through because he doesn't have that vision cemented in his mind of where he's going. Hmm. And so it's all over the place, you know. And there's various times when it just, it's, it's it almost falls apart. Overly ambitious. But Maybe uh, there's a certain momentum that keeps things together and keeps it moving forward. Like, this isn't a bad film. No. no and I, and I think part of the reason why you can be critical about it and enjoy it's that criticism. It's easy to be critical about it's, yeah, it's it's easy to be critical, but it's it doesn't detract from your enjoyment. You know, you just I don't know. I think it's a good film. It's not a perfect film by any means, but it's a hell of a lot better than I thought. Like, like Drew, you love so many things from the '90s, and that's objectively like the worst decade in a in a century of cinema. Arguable. I mean, I, I'd say more love '80s than '90s cinema, but sure. I don't know. When, whenever I hear like Treasure Planet and shit, like it's, like, it's always like these nineties. <laughs> Treasure films. Planet is Treasure 90s Planet anyways, comes up from isn't Cody. it? it no, be. I thought it Treasure Planet be. was like two thousand one or something. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Man, oh. let's go back to season one and bring up 
love it so much. I like how he trashes Treasure Island in his first appearance. Give me a high five. There we go. High five. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That was the before time. Before. before. Technically, it's not Cody's first appearance. This is technically his like second. Oh, that's right. Do we, the, the devil inside? We, yeah, but no, that doesn't but count. It, it doesn't, it doesn't count the, because the, the audio the, got... The audio was <laughs> compromised. Yeah, but at the same time, you wouldn't speak into the microphone. I was really high. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And apparently I didn't react the same way that he thought I should when <laughs> the girl got assaulted. He's like, I thought you'd be angrier. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah, you I thought, was really high. You thought I would be a lot angry <laughs> at a scene. That. <laughs> well, so the you know maybe the first time you podcast, don't take an edible before. <laughs> <laughs> were those were those back still in like the Ninja Turtle days? Those are the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, those. those he were, was in the half shell. Those are some power. serious edibles. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Well, so back to Jason's pick. <laughs> Nerd reverts. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Let's give us kiss, kiss. <laughs> Uh, anything else we want to say about this before we get into the old segments any thoughts any uh yeah actually like you know forgive me for being the asshole that just you know tells you where to go with this it's assumed no please tell there are okay so (laughs) like you have you have casablanca right and you've got the maltese falcon Mm -hmm. yeah they have same studios same dp you know i Pretty sure it was the same director. I could be wrong about that. You got Peter Lorre, Humphrey Bogart. You got you got members of the same cast. There's a ton of overlap, and they're they're filmed nine months apart, right? One's noir, with no argument, and one's not. It's not even considered remotely noir, even though it's no. They do have different directors, anyway. But my point is, like, <laughs> they're very similar films, and they're filmed very close to one another, but they have a distinct feel unto themselves. So, what is it? about a neo-noir film that cements it as noir for you? Because I think it's an interesting question, and it's one that led me to like a two-day rabbit hole of me trying to put my finger on what exactly makes a noir film. Because it's not just shade and shadow, right? Mm-hmm. Like The Third Man is like kind of like the banner of like what a noir film should be. Right. And this has none of those characteristics, but at the same time, like L.A. Confidential is a very noir film, despite the fact that it shares none of those cinematographical elements, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just in storytelling because, you know, but this film is is obviously noir, right? And it's mm. not just because of the 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 relentless and and sometimes tasteless Raymond Chandler references. So just what is it that that cements this for you guys as like a noir film? Like, couldn't you put your finger on the pulse of that? Because I couldn't. It had the feel, but I couldn't really tell you why. Because anything that I thought became contradictory when I compared it to something else. I, I think that's something that you can look at for this because, again, so many elements go into the stew where, like, you can taste... Right, like, you taste it. You know, to know you know it's there. In the pot. Right, like, you know it's there, but again, right, like, putting your finger on it, it's not going to hit the mark like a Mal- like the Maltese Falcon or even something like Chinatown. Yeah. But it does have a, it does have that, dare I say, like, that phantom. And I don't and, know. And it's elusive. That's hard to yeah, nail down. There's a it, lot of films that have t- uh, tried to be noir and failed... And it surprises me how well this one manages to nail it, despite the fact it's as messy and amateurish as it is. You know, I, I mean, is it, is it the whole like? I don't want to say the narrator aspect. 
No. In fact, I and think the, that was one of the most distracting parts of the film. I mean, I, I, you know what? I liked it not for much of a narrator aspect. Why but I liked was it. he dipping his shoe <laughs> foot know. into the pool? But okay, understand like understand the world that what he's being... What does that mean? It, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing. But understand like the world that he's immediately being thrown into. He has no idea what he is. Sure, he has sure. no idea where he is. He bumbled... He Mr. Magood himself into like an audition piece, and then he was immediately flown out to L.A., where we later find out it was a complete farce to like have him try and understand like a detective training. So let, let's talk about well, that. Well, hold on. Let me let me give you my take on yeah. that. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like a uh, a reverse fish out of water, or a, almost no, like a fish out of water in a way. So like, let, let's take a movie like Under Siege. Sure. Where that's the reverse fish out of water, where the goddamn cook is like the, the you know, the goddamn specialist, you know, it, fucking right. Green Beret, SEAL, Super Soldier. But this is just some asshole that was knocking off a toy store at the beginning of the movie. He's thrown into this and tr just trying to sort of fake it till he makes it and just taking each moment the best that he can. Right. And also there is the, the backdrop of, you know danger and right. intrigue uh so i think that's what what clinches it as as you know noir uh for me even though it doesn't fall the usual trope of the the detective being the primary part because the primary part is robert downey jr yeah. who is sort of playing at learning how to be a detective from Gay Perry. No, Killer. it's like Sherlock Holmes with fucking Watson as the narrator. Yeah, but, right. but but Sherlock Holmes doesn't want Watson fucking doing his own shit. No. <laughs> well, but, like, oh, no. Fuck you, you taking jobs on me, motherfucker? <laughs> but, I'm gonna do some cocaine and we're gonna have words. <laughs> but to the point where, like, when he's being confronted by Gay Perry and he's he has to tell him like you're not getting the part you're not getting the part no no if I if I leave later after the audition like I can have my I can have my scene and I can go in there and I can do my test run no no you're not getting the part you're not listening to me shut up like quit talking you're not getting the part and it breaks it down for him because everything that brought him to it like he it's in his back pocket that he has this training to stay in this new world but everything in the new world is a new discovery and something that also reminds him of something else that he can lean on and also move forward to but then when he's finally like he sits there and he's and he's like i like it almost bre it breaks him for a moment where he says like i thought we were friends and gay perry's like no we're not friends and i'm not a good person like you need to understand where the fuck you are right now so the scene where he walks in on the guy like feeling up the passed out girl you better be her doctor and you know there's a he he puts on a lot of a lot of braggadocio there trying to to get you know convey like you know we can go outside right now just walk away he ends up getting his ass beat over yeah there. but well, you know he did save like, the and no day. one does anything <laughs> so that that's also another thing where you know that this isn't you know seal team six going in here this is just a guy like he doesn't have like you know, crazy skills, but he does have, and I think this also is something that goes into a noir detective. He's got a bit of a code that there, mm. there's right and there's yeah. wrong. And, uh, and even if I have to take a beating over it, uh, I'm still going to side on the, the, the side of right. No, no, no. I, I think, I think that is a terribly important element because there's a yeah. clear lineage from, you know, the noir detective or, you know, what have you to like, the Western gunslinger to mm. the knight errant or, you know, Ronin mm. samurai. Like you can see that there's, there's a clear, you know, 
Yeah. No, I think you're right no, about no, yeah. that. I think because he might not be the most honorable person. Like the first thing that we're seeing. Well, no, he's him as do. broken as anybody in his right, environment. Right. But he's, at the same time, it's like he still has his his white knuckle grasp on some level what of morality. Is, yeah, exactly. What is yeah. right and wrong? Want? Like he's 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 robbing a place, but he knows that a woman shouldn't get groped while she's conked out. But he has no problem lying to his like former friend, now love interest, as long as it prolongs this like fantasy or like adventure that he's technically But he was on. probably going to let her in at some point. It just happened to happen I at mean, the wrong time where she the, slams the door and cuts off her. The, there's finger. only there's only so much time that he can prolong the inevitable of him like, "Okay, I'll take your case." And I take notes just to just to help my process. Like he's drawing a cat. Like <laughs> So, there's a film from the 70s called Hardcore. There was about an evangelical Christian looking for his Christian daughter who is who is gone the route of like drugs and prostitution like mm. i think it was san francisco george c scott right i don't know if you've seen this thing <laughs> fucking this is this is prior to him doing what was it was a fire starter fire starter with oh, yeah. Jerry Moore. yeah and but after think, Patton, right? but well after pageant Patton, and i think i want to say before changeling after Patton, I, after when he oh. sent well, uh the uh, was the it the 90s? american actor no it's uh, <laughs> to accept his oscar <laughs> Uh, on his no, behalf. No, oh, yeah, that would have been after. after uh, and and uh, was it John Wade tried to fucking like, like beat the shit out of her? <laughs> really? <Yes. laughs> I'd have paid money for that video. Yeah, uh, me too, but, but not really. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were going with this. I don't even remember George where we C. started. Scott. George C. Scott. Oh, hardcore. yeah, hardcore. Okay, so. <laughs> nope, I've lost it. It's gone. <laughs> You know, ladies and gentlemen, Cody. You know what, Cody? Oh. Nathan may not be here, but we welcome the tangents because they fit right in. Oh, I'm, I'm glad I can provide some service. <laughs> mm. So, anything else, or should we get into uh, segments? segments? Cody, uh, do you want to? The opening. The, I do want to say one word about the opening because it was animated, right? And I think that's interesting, especially because this is such a homage piece to so many different things because it reminded me of all those films from the 60s or mm. the 50s. Like, if. Or like you, James Bond. You probably kind of remember intros. the Doris Day comedies like Come September, or, you know, Strange Bedfellows, right? Strange Bedfellows. And they all had, you know, those cartoon yeah, openings. Pink Panther and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Pink Panther, right. And that was, you remember that documentary um, I, I pushed on you about the uh, movie posters, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was a time when like theater and cinema and art were inseparable from one another and they shared a lot of overlap. You know, one of the things I loved about that documentary was like J.C. Decker and like um, Sam... Not Sam Rockwell, Norman Rockwell. Mm. You know, they worked on movie posters in their 20s, you know, before they got paying gigs as artists, you know, which tells you about the talent and enthusiasm that there was for movie posters once upon a time. And it was the same way for openings. And now every movie poster looks like a, a, a ripoff of a, there was, uh, yeah, a Star Trek there was uh, a or no, talent, Star Wars. There was a talent poster. and an art to movie posters. No, th there was. And that's, that's what this documentary was about. And like <clears throat> the floating and, heads. I like and that. And even though the, um, the, the goddamn cartoon opening didn't fit. It's goddamn cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, even though it didn't fit at all. Like I, I, I kind of like that it was there, yeah. especially since it led into like the sixties flashback of the amazing Harry and mm. you know, his, his misadventures. <laughs> I'm going to be an actress. <laughs> well, okay, but tell me that didn't, like, put you right in the middle of, like, Stand By Me. 
Yeah. Like, like it had the same feel and the same lighting. Like it felt like I was watching, not from the film standby, no, I mean, but just, from just the, the, bat- the no, atmosphere for, and everything there. But, for, but specifically from the story that's told in the middle of that. Sure. Yeah. That the kid is telling, uh, the, the writer, which one was he? It wasn't, it wasn't River Phoenix. It was, uh, not Will Wheaton. Yeah, it was Will Wheaton. Will, Will Wheaton was Wheaton. the one. No, yeah, Will Wheaton was the one that grew up to be the writer, right? Will the one who Wheaton. tells the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember he's telling the story about the kid that throws up in the in the, the pie eating contest. In the yeah. pie eating contest, and it was <gasps> and it was shot in this way that was totally different from the rest of the film. The colors were different. Well, that's that's fucking a great. That is a great scene. It's a great and scene. also a great movie. And you never see. Well, no. Yes, that's a film we should be talking about, right? But like. This this had that same feel. Patreon.com like, forward slash Real Feels Podcast. <laughs> if you want backslash, to, if you want us to stand uh, by me, stand by me. Do stand by me. But like this flashback scene felt the exact same way as that one, and it made me terribly nostalgic for better films that I've seen before and why they're not around anymore. And we're watching, you know, fucking Marvel Mill films for the, like the sixtieth year in a row. You know, <laughs> and you know, kiss kiss bang bang. $18 million. Uh, 18 point... 15 million dollars. Sorry, 15 million dollars. 15 point eight million. Which is, which is nothing. Back. But that's not really considered, like... Unless it's a, a terrible horror movie. Well, I mean, no, that's that's not. A, I mean, it's not a success to uh, you know technically no, it's not break, a success, break but, even. But that's but why that, that's why we're that seeing less and less of movies like that, and more and more of this. Uh, you know, the Marvel Mill, the DC you know, Mill. The, the, the belief had been that um, these streaming services, you know, creating their own original content, that they were going to take over for small film productions. You know, kind of in the way, like in the 70s and 80s, you had those made-for-TV movies. Yeah. And like Night Stalker might have been like the only one that might be watchable, but you certainly can't go back to it now, right? But, uh, you know, Netflix just dropped, what, like 27% today on the stocks mm-hmm. because uh, because they lost subscribers for the first time in 10 years. So and they said they're going to go to commercials, possibly. Well, what? they're, they're going to go to a... Dude, nobody's going to They're going to go to a lower price plan. A lower price plan that has commercials. Which is a, a model that's yeah. already out there for Hulu. For fucking Hulu, which I won't pay for because it has commercials. Yeah. Sorry, I will sit and I will go to Tubi which is already a free streaming service that already has commercials, and I do not have to pay for it, and Tubi already has... What the fuck is Tubi? It's a free man? streaming service that's honestly quite fantastic. <laughs> the fuck is Tubi? Man? No, no, it is. T-U-B-I. It's a great little free streaming service. I don't, I don't you know. have to deal with little 90-second per- commercials. That's it. And the variety, the variety that is on Tubi is actually quite impressive. But it is also like a treasure trove of like B movies. Would you say it's a treasure planet trove? Oh, shots fired! <laughs> you know, we want to thank Cody it. for coming on to the. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ! Uh, uh, segments. Segments. Is Cody, you're gonna harmonize with us? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, come on! It's uh, I love that. Not, Cody, not only harmonize? is it necessary, Fuck it that. is essential. <laughs> I, I will move my lips and lip sync with you <laughs> as you fucking read. All right. Segments. Yeah, I don't fuck that up. <laughs> All right, segment number one from Jason. Pictionary. If you were to look up a word in the dictionary and find a picture of yourself, what would that word be and why? This is as reflective as he looks up the word idiot apparently it was that the word idiot that uh robert dunn's yes, character yes. okay idiot 
I will go see first. a picture of me. No. <laughs> yeah. So I, I chose the word um, simpatico, which is um, of a person who is likable and easy to get along with. I think that's I think that's good enough. <laughs> Cutie. Uh, let me go last on this one because I've I've got a bit to say. Alrighty, uh, then I will go with uh, Falstaffian. Oh, uh, oh, which the definition of Falstaffian is, uh, yes. yeah, uh, wives relating to or having qualities of Falstaff, especially his robust, baldy humor, <laughs> good-natured rascality, and brazen braggadocio. No, no, I I can see I, that. I, you know, I will I will. Uh, um, I agree to this. I like so, it. So I have to admit that I've I, I had nowhere to go on this question. I, I, <laughs> I didn't really have an answer to it, but an epiphany came to me at work, and and so so it provided me with uh, some insight into my character, which will surprise nobody. Um, <laughs> so I'm recently out of training over where I work, and I'm kind of on the floor running things on my own for the most part. And I ran into an issue where I had to call several people onto the carpet. And there is a very dear woman who works for the same company as I do, who works on the same shift that I do. And she was trying to help me. Um, but she's only marginally less new than I am. And uh, she's 72. And she's sweet. And she's got nothing but the nicest intentions. And she's Japanese. So she's like four foot one. So she's this very small, very frail, very sweet old lady who's nothing but helpful and kind. And she's uh, I'm trying sorry, to remind I hate to interrupt, me, but I just see you uh, wearing Luke Skywalker's outfit from Empire Strikes Back, and then carrying this woman on your back in a backpack. It's not far from it, except for the fact that I don't fucking need her, and I want her off my fucking back. Right? So she turns to me at one point, and she's trying to ask me if I've gone through all the steps before I start fucking raining hellfire on these people, right? And I turned on her, and I snapped, and I threw her out of the fucking room, and I realized that, like, that was egregious. And probably shouldn't have done that and i swore at a 72 year old woman who's been nothing but kind to me as i told her to get the fuck out of the room this is the most cody thing that you've ever told me and i realized at that point that when you guys have called me an asshole over the years there might have been something to it <laughs> it's an elective position and, and i know i've always maintained that i'm not you always but you i always defend yourself by saying i, I think i'm the least i am <laughs> Sweet, which is what what Bill from Kill Bill says to Baby. Well, yeah, but it's also a line from the Philadelphia story, which is my favorite all time comedy. You know. Oh, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought. Hello, George. Sweet. You know the, uh, the the idea of artists having patrons is uh, kind of kind this, of out of fashion. This was yeah. our Patreon pick. Uh, one of our Patreon picks for when Nathan was getting married. You have unsuspected depth at times. So. Um, <laughs> So, in any case, I I'm going to have to say asshole is probably the word in the dictionary that most applies to me, not all the time, but from time to time. Like It's like second gear. Or anything out of neutral. Crisis <laughs> <laughs> and gravity. All right, oh, now, next, uh... next segment. Uh, City of Wannabes. Whether it's punk rock Steven Seagal, Native American Joe Pesci, or Brazilian Billy Bob Thornton, everybody looks like somebody. Name a time when you've been told that you look like someone, but you see zero resemblance. No, this is where I have to ambush you, because I, That's fine. I said in the very beginning there was something I wanted to touch on later. 
the time has come. <laughs> this, this is where I discovered how marginal and, and tight the budget was for this film. Because this entire scene wasn't written in advance, and it wasn't anticipated, and it wasn't scripted. They had 30 extras on the set, which was all the extras their budget could afford. And so they looked at them, trying to figure out how to make this scene more interesting. And they want they had an idea of was what they wanted like to the do. Was this like the fetish party? No, this was no, in this the bar. Was at the bar. Oh, okay. And so they just so the first one Shane Black looked at him. He was like, "Doesn't that guy kind of look like a Native American Joe Pesci?" <laughs> and I I don't remember who he was speaking to, but the guy got hung up on it. He kept coming back. He was like, "Holy shit, you're right." And then like 15 minutes would go by, and the guy would come back, and he'd be like. That motherfucker really does. <laughs> and and it was and it, and it became some obstacle to their making any progress on anything else that day. It, when Michelle so Monaghan spits film. her beer out. That was, uh, that was a live reaction. Yeah. That wasn't scripted. Um, and I just think that's cool. I think that's a thing that people need to know about this film because it brought me a lot of joy. No, that's great. Evidently it brought everybody else to. The guy that didn't make the cut was black Kevin Costner. And that image is cemented in my mind now. <laughs> But what about for you personally? Oh no no no! Because you do I not look like a black. Oh, he has to pass. I've never been mistaken for anybody. <laughs> All right, uh, so I've got a couple, um, uh, probably about five, six. Oh shit, we're getting older. Maybe seven to ten years ago, <laughs> I do that frequently. Uh, I, I did a presentation for a class of fourth graders about how your eye works like how you see sure the the mechanics of it visual cortex optic nerve rods and cones all that good stuff my god this is another thing i'd pay money to see yeah <laughs> uh, so i was told by a class of fourth graders that i looked like clark kent oh uh which was was a bit was a bit uplifting but yeah. but i'm gonna go on uh i've also been told uh, by my wife that i look like hopper from Stranger Things. Oh God, I could kind of see. Not because you look like David Harbor at all, but yeah, no, I, I, can I need see that. I need you in a sheriff's outfit. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think no, no. my, my no, no, favorite no. and the best one is uh, uh, upon uh, seeing the uh, uh, Netflix show Mine Hunters or Mine mm -hmm. Hunter, which is about uh, you know finding and profiling. Oh, was it Gacy? No, it wasn't Gacy. No. My sister-in-law believes I am a dead ringer for Ed Kemper. Oh, God. <laughs> Except for you have a better oh, mustache. Jack. <laughs> That's dead on. <laughs> and so every time I see her in the Mindhunter series, Ed Kemper speaks with a very deep and, and very <laughs> like I'm making sure that everything that comes out of my mouth is exactly what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> so every time I see her, I'm like, Merry Christmas. How are you? <laughs> I love the relationship you two have, despite the fact I've never witnessed any of it. Right. But the stories you bring home are great. Yeah. As an honorable mention, you were also called Rosewood all, all <laughs> through TJ's wedding by a very drunken Cody. But that was also because I was wearing that fucking tan like three days. But yeah, the cop glasses <laughs> and the three piece suit. You didn't look like Rosewood, but motherfucker, you look like Rosewood. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright. Gosh, I the only thing that even comes to mind is slightly growing up, uh, I was referred to as 
the the child version of Louis Anderson from Life with Louis, despite it being a cartoon. I would never admit that. And then <laughs> I would take that secret to my grave. <laughs> and then as I got older, someone also said like, oh, he looks like Louis Anderson. And I'm like, fuck right off. That is not an attractive <laughs> man. Fuck right <laughs> off. Oh, did he die lately? He just he died. God oh, bless no. Louis okay. Anderson. Nothing wrong with Louis Anderson, but I'm just like, sorry, no. we look nothing. I don't I'm have Louis a- Anderson. <laughs> I was in Jaws, but he, he wasn't. He wasn't. But I'm like, I don't have a gap between my teeth or anything like that. If and that's the only thing that's holding you apart, you're not winning anybody. I'm over. not. <laughs> you, you need to lead with a stronger argument than I that, think, I think the only compliment, and it's... And that it motherfucker has bad teeth and I don't. Fuck you guys. <laughs> I think the only compliment where someone had said like, oh my gosh, they, they remind me of a person it was when... And I know I've shared this before, but like my parents went and saw The Holiday when it came out in theaters. And there's the scene where Jack Black is in the blockbuster doing like the soundtrack game with Kate Winslet. And he's all like, and my mother said that when she sat there watching the movie, she was like, oh, my God, Jack Black is Drew. And I, I will take that as the biggest compliment in the entire world. These, these are not good looking men, Drew. <laughs> don't you have something from your grandmother where she was like yeah she thought i was clark gable for a summer when i was nine no like young humphrey bogart oh god um right all right segment three (laughs) moving swiftly along (laughs) moving along generos pure drinking pleasure what is your favorite commercial or ad placement that takes place within a movie or a TV show. Before anyone enter or goes, I'd like to interject that the voice of the bear from the Gennaro's commercial was Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yep. no shit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cowboy Curtis himself. Huh? That's right. That's, That's great. Right. Um, who wants to go first? Um, I can feel this one. Uh, this this is... <laughs> you're your only this, one? This, so this is bad, maybe. <laughs> but uh, Repo Man. When it comes to product placement, like, I love Repo Man. Um... Which you may or may not remember. It's a shitty little movie from like 85 with Emilio yeah. Estevez. But I love how like all the food is labeled food. All the beers labeled beer. It's all these generic white fucking banners with like blue letters. You know, and it's just it's it was a response to product placement being introduced to films and the commercialism of it. And just like a big 80s fuck you to like the standard <laughs> way of doing things. And I've always loved it. It's my favorite product placement in any film. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, so I think one that always makes me laugh, um, and I absolutely, like, I love laughing at the movie Dodgeball. I think it's a funny, funny comedy. <laughs> I don't care what Cody's face is like right now. Okay, I think it's a funny movie, and that's that. But it's it's the it's the commercial for Globo Gym with Ben Stiller. He's all like, we here at Globo Gym understand that things like ugliness and fatness or genetic disorders so we want to work that and like his whole thing of like promoting global gyms all like we'll like we'll make you a better you like because you know what we're better at global gym we're better than you uh the only other one that like is almost like ingrained it, it lives rent free up in my head is the constant commercial from robocop the whole like i'd buy that for a dollar uh, oh, thank God. you thank you for for <laughs> stating that <laughs> Because uh, that that was uh, one of mine, but I had several others. Oh, there's there's plenty more. <laughs> uh, so Nicolas Cage uh, as Fu Manchu in the Grindhouse movies intermission. Uh, I wanted Cinnabar. <laughs> Cinnabar. <laughs> this is my mecca. 
like it's so fucking ridiculous it's it's and good. over the top. Um, I also enjoy the uh, from uh, our also Patreon spec or no, not Patreon, but our movie without Nathan Demolition Man. Uh, <laughs> good things in the garden. Boop boop. Garden oh, in the valley. Boop boop. Valley of the jolly green giant. I forgot about the jingles, well, but that's a twofer because that happens. Like it's it's like a lounge singer singing that yeah. as they walk into Taco Bell, <laughs> which he's going to Taco yep. Bell because they won the franchise, <laughs> won the wars. food wars. And then my final isn't a movie; it's it's Ren and Stimpy. It's log, it's log, it's big, it's heavy, yes. it's log from Blamo or many many other yes. like you know, Mister was it Cinnamon Toast Man or Mister Toast Man or whatever it was. <sighs> yeah, no, I think it was Cinnamon Toast. No, Man. it's Cinnamon Toast Man. That makes me now think of like thing, the the random commercials that were always on like Rocco's Modern Life from mm. Conglomo. <laughs> no, those were all great picks, man. Those yeah. were good. Uh, so uh, what would you guys rate this movie? Uh, I'd give it three out of five dead hookers. Okay. All right. <laughs> From my own memory, I thought I had seen this. And it, it I'm, I'm almost positive I had, but I had remembered very little of actually watching it again. And I was pleasantly surprised with what, um, you know, I encountered. So I, I generously give it three and a half shots, uh, leaving one bullet in for, uh, for Gusto. Mm. Out of six? No. I like out of five. I don't think there's a gun. With five uh, you know, out of out of uh, <laughs> you know, kiss kiss bang bang. I give it a kiss and a bang and a couple droplets of urine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but a again, little over halfway. There. Uh, but again, if if you are going to cite Raymond Chandler to a Raymond Chandler aficionado, you better make sure that it's fucking Marlowe as hell. I, I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, it's your rating. What the fuck am I going to argue with, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, like, I think Gabe Perry could have fit in in a Marlowe setting really fucking well. I'm sure he could have, sure. but Gabe Perry is just, a, just one part. I know. Uh, a good part. But, but I really like that part. Like, it's the one thing in the film that I think is done incredibly well. Especially yeah. when he, he shoots the j- the derringer out of his pants. Oh, dude. Like that was so good. Homophobes never look so at that. They, they, they never check there. They never check there. <laughs> and I think You this, can't tell uh, me you've never slept with a man. I think this is one of the first, like, uh, mainstream portrayals of a... Uh, it's, consi- like it's considered... Of a gay... The uh, openly gay character in an action film. Yeah, which, you know, people are like, well, if they were going to do that, what? they should have put someone who's gay in the role. But was this that, was 2005. What's that movie from the 60s where it's like, uh, I may not know my flowers, but I know a bitch <laughs> no, when I see no. one? Um, that is still my favorite queer in a film. But I know a bitch when I see one! That movie is so good, mainly because of that dude. I... Oh, I forget what it's called. It's free on Prime, or at least it was when we were, because that was a contender for our uh, LGBTQ movie. Uh, if it wasn't going to be Zorro the Gay Blade, <laughs> because Nathan's like, I just want that scene. <laughs> what? What does he rail some dude in the ass? I've never seen this film. Zorro no, the so Gay Blade. You've never seen that? No. Oh no, Ooh. it's great. Uh, I, I don't. We, give a we fuck have about it on Zorro. DVD, but it is. There like, are no I subtitles. had palms as well. There's no subtitles, so you really have to pay attention to what they're saying. Um, but but it's. It's a funny film. There's actually quite humorous parts and good, good, funny lines. Really, there are. Uh, we've quoted it 
quite a few times. <laughs> the ship in the field. The blah, 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 blah. <laughs> The ship. The ship's in the field. <laughs> well, there's, uh, there, there's a lot of references you guys make. I just kind of gloss over most of them. The gay yeah. deceivers. That's it. Oh, they, yes. Yeah, because they were trying to get out of the military. Yes. Get, get out of the military. Yeah. They're trying to avoid Vietnam. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm marigolds. Marigolds. These are marigolds. Oh, like the cl- <laughs> the, the clutching the, the clutching of the pearls. It was so over the top, but it was so great. Oh shit! It's a funny movie. It is. Uh, so there's no. This is a Patreon movie, so there is so no, no Patreon special. Patreon special. Uh, coming up, Drew. Uh, we've got a. a couple of choices coming up we we have two currently we have two more patreon specials that uh movies have already been chosen so next up again guys will be another round of a patreon special we will uh let you know ahead of time exactly which one it's going to be but in between this episode and that one what uh, what are are the picks we like to keep our picks secret keep them safe people pay money for them i mean give them some advertising What, what are the movies well, but this one. I don't have any problems. I just want to know so that I can fucking tap out now if they're like too big. Because I'm not watching King Ralph with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it's not King Ralph. Okay. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but in between this episode and the next Patreon special, uh, Jack and I, maybe even Cody, will join us. We'll uh, do a What Have You Been Watching? We can. I'm recap. fairly sure people give you money not to have me back. That's not true. Well, I, I, I bet you have a secret fan base. I doubt it. <laughs> Never know. Never know. I know my circle of friends. It's not wide or deep. <laughs> Let me like, pee on your corpse. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like I know my circle of friends. Half of you are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but guys, thank you for joining us for this episode of our Patreon special brought to us by Jason for 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. More importantly, thank you to Cody. Thank you to Cody for joining us. He's looking around like, I like I should be addressing someone else. Remember <laughs> you. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Guys, if you have enjoyed Cody on this podcast, you should hit us up on Twitter. Let us see some hashtag Real Phil's Cody Love. But more importantly, and call the Tooch Line 661-376-0030. Leave us a voicemail on the Tooch Line letting us know how much you love some Cody. It's a Tooch Line and you're gonna <laughs> call it so you know that, that Cody yes. will come you're back. You're fucking kidding me. No, quite a few people actually. You know, I thought it was a bullshit number. I thought it was a gag. Yeah, that's no, why, uh, that's why uh, I say uh, it every episode, is because it's a bullshit <laughs> I did. Like, I thought it was a running well, joke. The, the I thought Cody, it was just one of those Cody things I do don't what understand. I used to do and, and prank the tooch line. <laughs> <laughs> Acting like I think... Uh, Jack I, would I call from, times. like, two different numbers, and I had to save him, like, Jack's work. Jack's other phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think one time I did uh, Buffalo did Bill. Buffalo Bill. From, uh, like, hey, I really enjoy the tooch line. It puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> I know what i'm doing at four o'clock in the morning from now on. <laughs> so but yeah, no guys, uh folks the tooch line is tooch line. real and working <laughs> it's out there call the tooch line leave us some love up on twitter you can uh, also contact us on facebook and instagram uh also send an email to realfoespodcast at gmail.com and if you want to leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, that would be just swell and for our millennials out there in the audience like I know there's a lot of stress about this, but no one's going to answer your call. You don't have to worry about that. It it automatically like, goes to a it voice just, now. It's like it's like calling time and temperature. 
which is not a thing you know about. <laughs> uh, there was a number called popcorn. You could get uh, the exact uh, time. Movie, movie, movie times. Uh, no one's. We we, we don't. No care. one's going to answer you. Just, I, just give us a little tooch. So, just a tooch boy. It goes don't, to it goes to my phone. To go I'm not leaping and jumping <laughs> for the clitoris. Just a little bit tooch. Yeah. So, uh, be sure to join us next time. And as always, you're the realist. Oh, and the feelist. Yes. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> die. <laughs> just die. Just die. <laughs>